Good morning. It is so good to have you at Central Church today. This is, we're wrapping up our Wonder Woman series today. I told Jordan and I were talking this week. Jordan is our, our super tech guy who puts together our videos and different things. I love, and I, we both agreed. We, were, we love the Wonder Woman series. We're glad that we are done with the Wonder Woman bumper before the sermon. And so <laughs> we're, that's kind of the way I go when I get into sermon series. So next week we'll be starting our new series. Of course, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent, beginning Ash Wednesday. It's going to be a great service. I hope you can be there. I hope you can come back tonight for our peak sports night as we celebrate with our kids. Yesterday we had the coaches versus pastors basketball game, a hard-fought battle. I don't want to brag about that game, but I will say I believe that my two points were the deciding factor in we won by two points. I happened to score two points, so they didn't give me the MVP trophy, but they, they could have. They could have. All right, we are, are wrapping up. Enough of that stuff. We're wrapping up our Wonder Woman series today. And throughout this series, we have seen that God uses women in powerful and glorious ways. That, that, that God's uh, call is, is for, for men and women to work. And he uses women in great ways. And we've also seen a common theme running through this series. Is that your worst mistake doesn't have to define you. Your worst moment in life doesn't have to be your defining moment in life. That God has other plans, better plans for you. And we're going to see that. That again today. This, today, as we're wrapping up, we're going to go to the resurrection stories for our final Wonder Woman uh, 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 that we're talking about, hero, if you will. And so I got thinking about those, those resurrection stories of Jesus, and I thought, who would be the first person, if you could have chosen any person for Jesus to, to appear to first following the resurrection. I mean, this is the greatest news ever, bigger than, than turning water into wine or raising even Lazarus from the dead or, or any of the other miracles. This is, this is the pinnacle. This is what we're all about. That's why we celebrate on Easter. This is the best news ever, ever, ever. And so because of that, who should Jesus have shown up to first? Maybe you would think, well, it would make sense that he would go to, 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 to Pilate first. During the time of Jesus, there were about 300 million people, the same amount of people as in the United States today, but in the whole world, 300 million. So to think, all right, who out of those 300 million should Jesus go to? Maybe Pilate. Pilate was uh, the Roman governor, as you recall. Pilate was the one who, who sentenced Jesus to be crucified. Pilate was the one that, that even after, afterwards uh, was having second thoughts about that, and, and the Bible tells us even, even talked of, of, of his release, but he didn't. Pilate was the one that ordered the guards in front of the tomb. So maybe you would expect Jesus to show up to Pilate and say, Hey, Pilate, you know you may have sentenced me to, to be crucified, but I'm alive, buddy. I'm alive. Or maybe you'd think that Jesus would have gone. He wasn't uh, 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 held confined by, by just uh, uh, that little geography. Maybe he'd have gone over Pilate's head, showed up at Caesar in Rome. And would have gone to, to Caesar and say, hey, Rome, or, or, or say, Caesar, you, you think that, that you're the, the king. Well, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Your guy Pilate had me crucified, but look, I'm alive. You'd think maybe, maybe Jesus would have shown up to them. Or maybe Jesus would have shown up to, to the high priest, Caiaphas, or the Sadducees who were instrumental in Jesus' death, or the, or the, the Pharisees, or the Sadducees who didn't even believe in the resurrection. That would, have been, that would have been interesting. Showed up to them first and say, hey, you guys don't even believe in the resurrection. Hello, right here. Or maybe at least he would have shown up to the 12 disciples, right? 
gone, uh, gone to Peter or John or, or, or James or Nathaniel or Philip or Matthew, those who had run and scattered. Of course, of course we know what's going to happen. This is Wonder Woman series. And so if you were to, to turn in your Bible to the John's account of the resurrection story, John chapter 20, we can read these words. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and so she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. Most Bible scholars think that that other disciple is John, that he's humble, doesn't want to mention himself in there, and so he just refers to himself as the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He was humble about not wanting to name himself, but he was not too humble that he wanted to make sure you understood that Peter was slower than he was. So they get to the tomb, and he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside, and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, he still hadn't understood the scriptures that said that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. All right, so far, Jesus hasn't appeared to anyone. All that we know for sure is the rock had been rolled away and the, and the linens that had been covering Jesus are, are folded up on that, on that slab. John and Peter see that and that's enough for them. And they believe, and they go on home. What are they planning on doing at home? I don't know. Maybe they were planning on collecting their thoughts or, or whatever. They go home. But Mary Magdalene, she stays put. Verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked. Because they away my Lord. I don't know where they've put him. Now, that's the exact same thing she's going to say to Jesus in just a second. That's pretty much the same thing that she told the disciples when they first came. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Same thing the angel said. Who are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, that's Hebrew for Jesus, She must have wanted to to give him a big old hug at that moment and just wrap her arms around him. For he said, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Whenever I read this story, I'm reminded of the old, you know, Sandy Patty song, I've Just Seen Jesus. Remember that song? And she'd hit those high notes, I've Just Seen Jesus. And it would send, you know, goosebumps down my back. And I, and I thought that would be kind of Mary's response. You know, I've just seen the Lord. I can't believe it. And, and overwhelming joy had, had taken her. So there you have it. Mary Magdalene, the first person that resurrected Jesus, saw. Out of the 300 million people on the planet at the time... The first person that Jesus went to was Mary Magdalene. And I guess my question for us is, why her? Why, why Mary Magdalene? Do you know her story? You know, do you know Mary's history? If you don't, Luke tells us, in Luke chapter 8, he says this. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. 
He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, we don't know the the details of Mary's affliction, but I think it's safe to say if you have seven demons, we would probably say today she was full of the devil. Seven demons. If you have seven demons residing in you, you're messed up. Your life is messed up. And we can all agree on the fact that Jesus rescued her, redeemed her, uh, revived her life once again. And again, the running theme through this series, we've already talked about it. Your worst mistake, your, your, your worst moment doesn't have to be your defining moment. That God has other, better plans for you, and that is best seen in, in Mary Magdalene. Maybe better seen in Mary Magdalene's story than in any of the others we've looked at. You know, we've looked at Sarah and Hagar, we've looked at Leah and Rachel, we've looked at Shifra and Pua, Naomi and Ruth, Esther, Elizabeth, last week Martha and Mary. The very first week was Eve. And, you know, and Eve and Adam, they, 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 they brought upon the brokenness in this old world. But even Eve didn't have seven demons residing in her. And here's Mary Magdalene. Seven demons. We don't know the details. We don't know her secrets. But we can know that if you have seven demons, your life is in turmoil. And yet she was the one, the very first one, that Jesus came to on that resurrection morning. And my question is why? Why Mary? Why her? I mean, Jesus could have shown up a couple minutes earlier. Peter and John were just there. You know, if if he wanted to, he could have showed up a couple minutes earlier. He could have seen Peter. Could have seen Peter, the one on whom I'm going to build my, my church. That's what he told Peter. He could have seen John. John, the one who just said he's the disciple who Jesus loved. You'd expect that Jesus would have shown up to those two guys. Right? Just show up a couple minutes earlier, Jesus. You could have caught all three, Peter and John and Mary, all in one shot. Too bad you were late, Jesus. Jesus is never late. Jesus is is always right on time. This isn't a a, a situation where, you know, Jesus got caught in traffic, and so he wasn't there when Peter and John were, were also there. No, no, no. His timing was he wanted to see Mary, just Mary. That's why he saw Mary, just Mary. So Why? Why was it so important that he saw Mary Magdalene at that moment, the very first person that he would see following the resurrection? There's an interesting word that, that the, both the New Living Translation that I read from and the NIV Translation translate. They both translate it the same way, and I say they don't translate it as accurately as they could have. And it's found in verse 10. The Bible says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. That word crying... In Greek is the Greek word kleiousa, kleiousa. And it means, it doesn't simply mean, you know, whimpering or soft crying. It, it means bitter crying. That's what my Greek dictionary says. It, it means bitter crying. It wasn't she was just out, outside the tomb, just kind of, uh, of, of a little bit of tears coming down. She was, she was in immense grief, deep sorrow, bitter crying. Can you relate to a time like that in your life when you you experienced a pain so deep, so painful, so harsh that your only emotion was bitter crying? You know, as a pastor, you, you are in some of those situations with families from time to time. I remember being at a hospital, uh, St. John's Hospital in Detroit, 
when, when a lady found out that her husband had, had died tragically and then her teenage son came in. He was a big, strong guy. And he came in and discovered that his dad had died tragically. And the only words to describe the, the emotion was bitter, bitter crying. I remember on another occasion, I was with a, a, a wife when her husband, they, they knew they were, they were having marital problems and I was, we were in a counseling setting and he admitted that he had had an extramarital affair and the only word to describe her reaction was bitter, bitter crying. I've been with, with families, I was at Claren Hospital when uh, a couple discovered that their child um, had died of SIDS. And the doctor came in and told that news to the mom. And then later, the dad came, and I had to tell the news to the dad. And the only words to describe what was going on was bitter, bitter crying. This, isn't, uh, this is your worst moment. This is life's worst, most awful, horrible moment. And that's where Mary is. This is bitter crying. She's standing outside that empty tomb. She's, she's unconvinced. Peter and John were, were convinced, but she was unconvinced that Jesus is alive. She thinks someone took the body. She didn't know who would take the body. Why would you take the body? The, the tomb is empty. And she is experiencing this, this worst life moment. She sticks her head back into the tomb that Peter and John had just run out of. And now, instead of seeing it empty, now there's two angels sitting in, in, in the tomb. And the angel asks her, woman, why are you crying? Now, typically, in the Bible, when an angel appears, the, res- the first response is fear. When Gabriel showed up to Mary, the very first words he said was, fear not, woman, fear not. When the, when the shepherds were out on the Bethlehem hillside, when Jesus was born, the angels show up, the very first thing they say, fear not. Usually, that's the response. You see an angel, you're afraid. But Mary Magdalene, she doesn't have that here. You know, she sticks her head in, and there's two angels. There weren't angels before, but now instantly, poof, there's two angels. They say, woman, why are you crying? And she responds to them, well, if someone took the body, do you know where the body is? She's talking to them like you would talk to, you know, a mailman on a, sun, on a, on a lazy day, afternoon. I think she just skipped right over fear. You know, she is so distraught and so upset. You know, fear didn't enter into her mindset at that point. She is just, she's so broken. And these angels ask her, why are you crying? And she starts to explain. But before she even gets the answer totally through and and until that conversation is over, the story gets a whole lot better because Jesus shows up. Only Mary doesn't realize that it's Jesus. She thinks, she thinks it's, it's the gardener, maybe the head groundskeeper for the, for the cemetery. And, and Jesus says to her the very same thing that the angels had just said to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? Now you understand, if, if anyone else would have asked that question, it would have been a very cruel question to ask. You don't go into a cemetery and see someone crying and go up to them and say, Why are you crying? That is a stupid question. No, none of us would do that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't go into a cemetery and see someone grieving and bitter crying and go up to them and say, oh, you know, why are you doing that? That'd be pretty cold and calloused. The only reason you would do that is if you know something that the other person doesn't know. The only reason you would ask that question is if you know that the object of their grief, the object of their tears, is not dead. And so Jesus asks that question and she doesn't realize that it's Jesus. And so she's still thinking that it's the, the gardener. 
And she says to him, you know, where, where, you know, where have you put the body? Have you put the body someplace, sir? What, where, what's going on here? To which Jesus interrupts and simply says her name, Mary. He knows her name. This isn't just the gardener. This isn't the head's groundskeeper. This is Jesus. The one she saw on Golgotha die. The one that she heard from his own lips, it is finished. Father, forgive them. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That same Jesus, the one Jesus who has spoken her name hundreds if not thousands of times, she knew Jesus' voice. And he said, Mary. And that's all it took. She wanted to grab him and Jesus said, whoa, 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 no, hold on. And Jesus was there. We began by asking the question, why, why was Mary the first person? Why was Mary the first person that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, showed up to? And I think the answer to that is in that word, that wailing, that deep, bitter word. I think of all the people on the planet at that moment, 300 million people, the one who most needed to see Jesus was Mary Magdalene. And she was at her wit's end. Peter and John, they looked in, they believed, and, but she didn't. She didn't know where to go. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know what had happened. It didn't uh, all make sense to her. She was lost. She was in deep distress, a bundle of nerves, a mess. She didn't have the... No, what she had was the greatest need. And the good news for you and me is that one with the greatest need Jesus shows up for. And when you're in deep need, when you're in those circumstances, much like Mary, when you're, when you're hurting, when you're in those worst possible moments, when you don't know where to go or where to turn or what to do, when it's real and deep and emotions are raw, the Bible tells us that Jesus will come to you too. That God's timing is perfect always. And he may say to you what he said to Mary, why are you crying? Why are you, why are you in this situation? Why are you feeling this way? And again, if it were anyone other than Jesus, we might think, well, that's a callous question to ask. But when Jesus says that, it, it's saying, because he knows that he's there with us and he'll see us through those storms. We, it, he doesn't eliminate those storms, but he sees us through those storms. He walks with us in those storms and he'll call out to you like he called out to Mary, Rob, Joe, Sue, I'm here for you. You need not fear. I'm here for you. There are so many people in the world whose hurts are so deep and pain is so real and grief is so fresh. They desperately need to hear the Lord say, I am here. I am here. I am here. I have a great story to illustrate this. It's not my story. It's my brother Fred's story. As you know, my brother Fred is also a pastor. Years ago, he tells a story about a guy named Bob. Bob was born during World War II and for whatever reason, Bob's mom put him up for adoption. And so for the first two years of Bob's life, he was in 22 different foster homes. Let that number sink in. Two years old and had been in 22 different foster homes. He was then placed in an orphanage. And he spent the next seven years of his life in an orphanage. And he endured uh, horrors in the early 50s in an orphanage. When he was nine years old, a Christian family said that they would take him into their home and, and they were fostering him. He hadn't been there very, very long at all. When the caseworker came out, she was, for some reason, she was anti-Christian or 
anti-God or anti-something, I don't know. And she, she told that, that family that she was taking Bob to summer camp when, in fact, she took Bob and put him in another orphanage. And this is in the, again, it's not, it's not the 2019, it was in the 50s. And so it took that family a year and a half to find Bob. And then they finally found him. They found out he was in an orphanage. He wasn't a summer camp. He was in an orphanage. And they filled out all the paperwork to get him back into their home. And finally, they got all the paperwork worked out. And Bob was coming home. And on the day that Bob arrived back in that Christian family's home, another tragedy. The father had a massive heart attack. On that day, had a massive heart attack and died. And so the state took him back out of the home and back into an orphanage where he spent the rest of his days up until he turned 18. Remarkably, he, he turned out relatively okay. And he started to, to he got a job, and, and eventually he got married. He started a business. Life was going all right. When another tragedy struck, he, he went into work one day, and he realized that his business partner was a crook and embezzled all their money and was gone. He went home to tell his wife that they were busted, that, that the business partner had taken off with all his money. And when he got home, he discovered that the business partner also had taken off with his wife. What do you do? Going back to Mary, worst possible moment. One tragedy after another tragedy after another tragedy. So Bob grabbed the bottle of pills and drove off to a, secure, a secluded spot. He was ready to end his life. He took the bottle off the pills. He was about ready to take them all down when he heard a voice that he hadn't heard since he was a little boy in that Christian family's foster home for those, just those couple of weeks. And he felt like God was telling him, go to the first church you see. So Bob, still having the pills, put the top back on. He drove into a little town called Marlette, Michigan. And he went to a little church called the Marlette Church of the Nazarene. Church that's not even the Nazarene church anymore. The church that doesn't, doesn't the pastor's office isn't in the church. Normally, the pastor isn't there because the, 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 the office for the pastor was in the parsonage, which was up a little hill. And usually the pastor wouldn't be there during the day, during the week. But for some reason, some reason, the pastor was there, and Bob came in and told the story, and my brother Fred led Bob to the Lord. I tell you that story to say, God heard him. He had, he had led, talk about a guy with maybe seven demons, maybe more. Yeah, God called out his name. And Bob heard his name, said, get to a church. He didn't know Nazarene from a bump on the log. He just knew he needed to get to a church. And the church he pulled up in, pastor wasn't supposed to be there. Normally the pastor wasn't there, but the pastor was there. And the pastor heard his story. And the pastor introduced him to Jesus. That family that you were only with for a couple of weeks ago, a couple years and years ago, knew the one named Jesus. And Jesus is the answer to your troubles. When we're at our worst possible moment, like Mary, like Bob. If we listen, we can hear Jesus calling on her name. That's not the end of the story for Mary Magdalene on that first resurrection day. Jesus not only showed up for her in the garden, Jesus also commissioned her, the very first person, the very first missionary of the resurrection. 
was Mary Magdalene. Because Mary then to- or Jesus then told Mary, after he, after he introduced himself to Mary, he said, but go. And he said, no, don't touch me. I've got to go to the Father. Then he said, but go, find my brothers. Tell them that I'm ascending to the Father, your Father, my God, your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples, told them. She was the first one, the first bearer of the good news. I have found the Lord. What's my point? You may think you're not qualified. You may think that, that your past disqualifies you. Mary had seven demons at one point. You may think that you're a jumbled mess. Mary was certainly a mess. But God calls you and God calls me. And he says, we need to go and share the good news and be bearers of the good news. And if God has called you, then he believes that you can do it. That's the good thing. If God thought there was somebody better to do whatever it is that God wants you to do, he would have called them. No, he thinks you're the person that needs to do. You're the person that needs to go and and, and be the, the ambassador for Christ. That's the lesson here. Mary was there, she was distraught, and God came to her. And it may be on this Sunday that you're going through it. Maybe you're at your weakest point, your lowest point. Can I encourage you just to listen for Jesus? He's calling out your name. Maybe you know that God is calling you for something and and you haven't said yes to him. Today is a great day to say yes to Jesus. Either with your life or maybe God is calling you to, to do something for him. Today is the day that you can say yes to him. Maybe, maybe you need to hear from the Lord today. If you open your ears and you open your heart, and you may just hear the Lord saying, this is what I got, or here I am, or don't worry about that situation, I got this one. But I want you to know God will come if you listen. Lord, we're so thankful for the truth of the resurrection. We're thankful that there is power in the blood. We're thankful that you will meet with us and call out to us even in our darkest, worst possible moments. And you will remind us that our worst moment doesn't have to be our defining moment, that that we can find our hope and our help through Jesus Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for the truth of the resurrection, that we can be alive and that we can be with you forever and ever. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel. Thank you for the message of hope that we have received through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, as we leave this place, help us to be ambassadors like like Mary and saying, we've seen the Lord. He is alive. He's real. He's true. He's true in my life. Help us, Lord, to be your ambassadors wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.